Well, hello and welcome to the very final Forever Blue audio podcast of the season. It's been an amazing season and it's been great to have you listening and your company. And I know there are people all around the world, City fans, from the Gold Coast to Moss Side who listen to the podcast. And I really, really appreciate it and all the lovely feedback that you give me. Uh, I'm very much indebted to Howard Solicitors. Uh, who are based in Ashton and Stockport, who sponsor this podcast and have been sponsoring it now for the whole season. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this and you fancy doing some sponsorship, let me know, contact me. You can find me on social media, particularly on Twitter, at Ian Cheeseman, a very easy way to find me. And uh, maybe you can become part of the, the family, if you like, the Forever Blue family. But thanks very much to Howard Solicitors. They have a website, howardsolicitors.com. Or you can, of course, uh, once you go on there, look for their phone number if you want to give them a ring. If you need any advice, whether you're local or not, I'm sure they'd be delighted to help. Now, this being the last podcast... I'm hoping there'll be a few of the regular members of the podcast team that will be joining us. By the way, my name's Ian Cheeseman, longtime City fan and reporter, in case uh, you're new to the podcast. And as well as the normal uh, fans that we're going to get on today, we have a very special guest. And that special guest is former City chairman, David Bernstein, who, in my opinion, um, steadied the ship at a time when the club was wandering all over the place and needed somebody with dignity and authority and um, integrity to be at the helm of City. And certainly uh, David did that. So I'm so pleased to have him with us tonight. David, thanks very much for joining us. As former chairman, and I know you were very high up there at the FA as well, and you've been involved in football all your life. You must be very proud. I've seen you stood on the, the, the top of Wembley shaking hands with people when City have won trophies. You've been the chairman of the club. What, what does winning this treble, what, what does City's achievements mean to you? Well, it's an extraordinary, an extraordinary achievement in itself. Um, I mean, the treble's only been done once before. And uh, you know, to, to see it done by the club that we love is really something extraordinary. But for me, you know, personally, it's even more so because it was... 25 years, almost exactly to, to the well, within a month that I took over as chair of the club, and 24 years since we won that famous uh, playoff final against Gillingham at Wembley, which I still regard as the most important match in City's history, uh, even though we've had some bigger, much bigger and uh, yeah, amazing matches since. That was the match that turned the club around, and without that win in, in, in 1999, I don't believe the club would ever have got to where it's got to now. When you look back on, on what you achieved personally and coming into the club, um, what, what are your standout memories? I mean, did you feel that was a club in peril when you joined it? Yeah, well, yes, not, not, not in peril of fading away completely, but it was a club, yes, in really serious trouble, serious trauma. And frankly, it was a club that was more or less in the 19th century still. You know, we look at every aspect of it then. The, the stadium, which I, I love Main Road as a stadium, but the stadium was sort of falling apart. We, we didn't have a training ground to speak of. Uh, but, you know, had a very small setup in, in Moss Side. We didn't have a, we didn't really didn't have a store. The, the club store was the size of my kitchen table and I haven't got a, I haven't got a particularly big kitchen table. Um, yeah, the, the, the offices of the club were sort of antiquated. The whole thing had been sort of left in the early 1900s. Um, and you know, when compared with our neighbors, for example, uh, you know, we were just light years um, behind. So, you know, to have found something in such a state, but of course, the seriousness of the situation was the opportunity. And I was very lucky, really, that um, I had a very good group of people around me, some very good backers in the JD Sports people, John Ward and David Macon. Uh, and, you know, I was given carte blanche, really, quite unusually so, because I think, people were scared. They were very scared of the situation. The, you know, they were very nervous of the supporters who were unhappy, to put it mildly. Um, and, it, and it was a sort of a unique opportunity. opportunity. Um, but it was a lot of sort of low-hanging fruit to start with. And we did a, I mean, a load of things, which we can talk about if you wish to. Um, and that's, uh, that was the start of it. Well, illustrate what you mean by when you say we did a lot of things. I mean, obviously the training yeah. ground was part of that, wasn't it? Yeah, the training ground was absolutely, absolutely crucial. That was, that was something Joe Royal was very instrumental in, uh, in working on. And uh, yeah, we produced, I mean, it doesn't quite compare with the training ground city you've got now, but nevertheless, it was a massive improvement 
on, on what it on what it had before. Um, and all the other things I just mentioned, the organisation, and frankly, the personnel. We didn't, you know, the people in the club, they loved the club, but they weren't, you know, they, they weren't top-class people. And we brought in, you know, really good people. And I, I you know, I've always will pay tribute to Alistair McIntosh and Chris Bird, particularly, um, you know, who, and we were a very small team. I mean, I think what we did with that small team, including the, the deal for the new stadium, um, you know, where, where we, you know, we did it with very limited resources. You know, very, we're very proud of that. But I think without the stadium deal again, I doubt if the club would have been so attractive to the people who owned it now. Well, the stadium led to taxing Shinawatra initially, buying it outright. I mean, he forced through the sort of buying the shares from everybody because I know I had a very small stake myself and eventually had to sell to uh, to Saxon. And then once that happened and the club was owned by one man, albeit he wasn't the future, it made it far easier for Sheikh Mansur to come in. So I, 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 you've been in, in high positions at the FA. I just wonder what, what you think of all the criticism that City get about, you know, sports washing and, you know, the shake coming in and falsely putting people in this position. I mean, this is one of the treble. And I've seen sort of quite bitter comments from people saying cheats FC have won and all this sort of thing. But what do you think of all that? Because you've, you've got a really interesting perspective on all this. Well, I, well, yeah, in one way, I, I have. You know, and I was chairman of the FA. I saw all of these things in, in practice. In, in reality, you know, of course, now I'm not involved. You, know, you can get get quite distanced from it. And I know I know no more about the current accusations and charges than maybe less than you do, um, or a lot of other people do. And I'm certainly not going to comment on them. Um, uh, I, I probably don't want to say two things. One is this should be, these things should be dealt with sooner rather than later. You know, if everybody's as confident about um, the outcome, then information should be given freely. You know, things should not be withheld and we should get get through this. And I think Pep Guardiola said the same thing. Let's let's get this thing dealt, dealt with and not be a, a sort of sword of Damocles um, ha- hanging, hanging over the club. I, I think that's really important. And the other thing is that it's a more general, is that, <laughs> financial fair play as it's structured I'm basically not in favour of I think it has all sorts of falls and that doesn't mean that I'm in favour of um, you know clubs owners gambling and putting their clubs at risk I'm cer- certainly not but I think that financial fair play has big big drawbacks um, one of which and of course uh, Man City took advantage of huge funds coming in and accelerated their development and I think other clubs, properly capitalised and properly structured, should be able to do the same thing. So if Man City could do it, then Newcastle should be able to do it, you know, and, and, and accelerate. You know, and you go back to smaller clubs like Blackburn Rovers. Um, they achieved great success by investing very heavily because they had the backer to do it and achieved wonderful success, albeit for a short period of time. So I, you know, I'm, of, I'm of the view that a lot of this um, financial fair play and restrictions and the way they're funded are... Uh, artificial, they're not going to work really. We live in a too big a world, a too complex world now for them to work. And I think the controls around football finance should be more around uh, proper capital structures, proper funding, you know, limited loans, less debt, more capital and so on. So yes, I'm all in favour of, of solid structures, but not in favour of the artificial thing, which has caused a lot of the issues in Manchester City and, may I say, other clubs as well. Um, the modern Manchester City um, seem to be very uh, screwed on. You know, their heads are screwed on. They've got people now who um, look at the global picture, the, the club, the CFG, the, the big part of the, the club, actually has clubs all over the place. Um, do you see any end to the sort of success that they're having now? I mean, it, it only seems to be going in one direction and... I, I presume, as a former city chairman, and from our point of view as city fans, this is something that you would be in approve of. You know, the fact that they're going for sort of almost global domination. Yeah, well, well uh, yes, I, I think I think all you know, no empires live forever, <laughs> and what appears to be the case at the moment may will, will probably will probably not be in three or four or five years' time. But absolutely, I mean, I think you know, the city have handled themselves. Absolutely brilliant. There is a very good team of people involved, a very stable team. You know, it's good to see the 
the same face as basically one of the club year on year. You know, they bought the very best. They've got the best manager. They've got wonderful players. Um, and they've achieved success, which is the envy of, of every other club now. I'm, you know, living in the South as I do, you know, I find it really difficult to sort of believe now that we are way ahead of the Arsenal's and the Chelsea's and so on. But we are. I mean, I think we are at the moment in a league of our own. Now, that, that, that won't last forever. People, other clubs will catch up. Things will happen. Um, but it's great wide, wide loss. And um, I don't like the term global domination, but I know what you mean. And I think the sort of structure the city are building up across the globe is, yeah, it's fantastic. So just tell me, were you watching the game uh, in Istanbul? Or were you watching the FA Cup final? Yes, of course, of course. I watched them, I watched them both, of course. Yes. So what, did, what did you make of them? How did it make you feel, David? Well, well what I made of the games was that, um, well, just going back one game before that, the Real Madrid game I thought was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I've never seen a major side, you know, one of the best sides of the world dominated, a city dominated Real Madrid the way we did in the first half of the second leg. It was quite incredible. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So that showed the class of the, you know, of the club and the team. And of course, followed on from many other great performances. Uh, the cup final, we were clearly massively superior to Man United. We were, we were better than the score, I think, um, you know, suggests. Uh, and, and we won that, I think, very comfortably. I think the Champions League final was a different matter. We were given a real run for our money. I thought uh, Madrid played extremely well in their own way and could have, of course, got a goal near the end. But in a way, that was also a tribute to the new Manchester City because you know they, they, they won a hard, tough match. They couldn't play quite the flowing football that we used to, but they still won. And they found this way of winning in nearly, in nearly every circumstance. You know, that's, a, that's a sign of true champions. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think probably, I'm, not, I'm really not biased when I say this, but I think this Manchester City team are probably the strongest, best club team we've ever had in this country. You know, I don't, whether, whether they quite equal yet the Barcelona team that's Pep um, uh, managed, I don't know. Um, I, I was at Wembley when they beat Man United and that was a, a stunning display. It really was. And of course, Lionel Messi is Lionel Messi. But um, certainly the team we've got now, Manchester City, and I think we'll need to see it in the next few years because winning, winning the Champions League is fantastic. But if you're going to become one of the all-time greats, you need to do it more than once, as, uh, as, you, as we saw with uh, Djokovic and Tennis the other day. When you were at those darkest moments, David, and, and you, know, you were steadying the ship and City were struggling back up to the second tier of English football, could you have ever dreamed? Could I mean, I, I asked myself that question. You could have ever dreamed that you would be sitting there on well, Saturday evening watching the Champions League final? Well, not quite, but, but um, I did used to say, you may remember this, because I've said it a number of times, my, my dream, which my realistic dream, was that Manchester would become, I used to say, the Milan of North England, i.e. A, a city with two great sides in it. But if you, if you ask me, did I ever think City would completely outshine United to get a, a far ahead of them as we, as we have done? No, I couldn't in my wildest dreams have imagined that. I, I hope that we, we would, would have re-established ourselves in the top division, you know, we'd get our self-respect and all those things back, which we, which we were doing. And, you know, we were challenged at the top, but I didn't see us pulling away. Um, I don't think anybody could have seen the way, us pulling away the way that we have. The words, dis, um, you know, uh, integrity and um, stability and all those are words that I associate with you. When you look at this Manchester City club now, is that what you see? I think I do on a, on a much bigger scale. You know, when, when I took over the, the chair of the club, the, the club's total turnover from everything, television, gates, merchandise, everything, was 13, that's one three, 13 million pounds. I believe now it's approaching is it 700 million. So the 600 million, I mean, you know, that's that in financial terms, that shows the scale um, of the of the expansion that we've that, that we've achieved. Um, so uh, they've done a, they've done a great job. Crumbs, no one, no one could deny that the this management. I mean, you mentioned, and I'm not, I would take this opportunity um, of saying it, um, tax in Shinawatra. Now, I objected strongly to that deal. I didn't like the man. Um, I tried to block it in a rather half-hearted sort of way, but back down in the end, because I didn't really have the resources. I didn't want to be seen as some disgruntled ex-chairman. Um, but I, and I, you know, the, the promises made in his prospectus were not kept. 
Uh, I've got that perspective, so I know what was said and what was done, and they were very different things. Uh, however, of course, that was, as you rightly say, that was a stage um, to selling it on to to our, our present owners, and uh, and they have been absolutely tremendous. I mean, blueprint for how a club should be run. And Sheikh Mansur, I know he was there at the final. He's only attended one other game, but he's a a man of, of I know he's in his country. He's almost a king, you know, uh, the way that. Yeah, yeah. Their country yeah. works, but if you just take it down to the human level, he's a man with great dignity and humility, yeah. or at least it seems that way. He doesn't shout about himself. Um, he does, you know, in the chairman Caldoun is the same when he does his end of season chat each year. You know, it's it's always extremely uh, well uh, spoken and, and very well thought out. And without you know being too creepy to you, David, it, that re reminds me of you when I used to chat to you. You always picked your moments, you picked your words and said everything with great dignity. So you you must, from your position, look on that and think, there's a man I admire. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You, put it, you put it very well. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a class act, you know, and uh, yeah, it's great that they, you know, and, and you can see from other clubs what happens when they do not have class acts. You know, we've seen big clubs, we would not mention any of them today, but you, we all know who they are. You know, big clubs who have suffered for, for exactly have, not having um, the sort of class that our people have got. Uh, so it's important. You know, there's, a, there's that old saying, a fish rots from the head. And I really believe that. You know, if, if it's not right at the top, then it won't be right all the way down. And in the end, those things catch up, you know, catch up with you. And uh, this club now is, you know, is well won and is, uh, you know, is great, at the, great at the top. The, the board is great, the ownership is great. Well, from a personal point of view, and I'm sure I speak for every City fan, certainly who was around when you were chairman, um, sincere thanks for everything that you did, David. Um, we wouldn't be here without you and David Makin and John Wardle and, and the, the people at that time that you've already mentioned, people like Chris Bird. We wouldn't be around in, in this era that we are. Uh, I spoke to Andy Morrison at the Champions League final for the YouTube that I did. And, and, and I said to him at the time, you know, without you captain in that side, without Dickoff scoring and Harlock and Nicky Weaver's heroics in, in goal and everything, we wouldn't be sitting here in this Champions League final. So you played a big part in that, David. So Thank you very, very much indeed. Really appreciate your time. And you, and you, I mean, as you know, because this is why we're talking today in a way, I had a quite a big birthday recently and uh, a lot of people of that time connected with the city, including your good self, sent me some lovely messages, including some of the players and Sean Gota, uh, the great goat, um, you know, was one of them. So, uh, yeah, it was that five year period as chair was one of the most impactful moments, periods of my life. That's that's for sure, don't never forget it. And in a way, the early part, you know, being in the trenches as we were, you know, fighting at Lincoln City and York and Wickham and heaven knows what, and then that Gilligan match, they were in a way great highlights you know, with, with hindsight. It was, it was great fun in a way, you know, getting the team together and working in very, very difficult circumstances. We had no, no money to speak of, you know, we had very little way of resources, but we got it right. And, um, you know, it makes me very happy that that, that has developed into what we have now. Well, thank you. I'm going to introduce you now to some of the members of my regular podcast team, and we're going to spend the rest of this podcast, and, and obviously um, you're welcome uh, to, to be part of this, to sort of celebrate the, the treble and to conclude the season by sort of looking back. We've got um, different age groups as well. We've got uh, young Toby, we've got old Andy. I uh, hope you don't mind me saying that. But anyway, older, let's say, Andy. We've got lovely Louisa, who I know was out filming at the parade yesterday. I'm still to put together the video that she's been sending over to me. So you might see that on my YouTube channel a little bit later on. And Amy. So we've got a variety of different types of people. Um, some like Toby and Andy, I know we're in Istanbul. I don't think Amy was. Um, and uh, I know Louisa wasn't. So... Fans are, are all different ages, all different types. Lovely. So uh, before, first of all, let's get a word from each of the, the four of you. And then if you've got a question for David, that'd be uh, a, a nice thing to do as well, I think. So uh, let's start with Toby. And I know you made it your sort of target, Toby, because um, I talked to you about this, I don't know, 18 months or something ago. Mm. So go to every single game, home and away, throughout Europe, a great expense sometimes, uh, with the goal of, 
you know, seeing the end game that we saw, if you like, in Istanbul. I know everything mm. doesn't stop then, but you achieved it. And just tell us about your experience in Istanbul and what it meant to you. Well, I mean, I, I almost achieved it. I, I did every domestic game this season and I've missed four four Champions League games. So I, I'll take that. I'm not going to... I'm not going to complain too much about that. I've had a I've had a great season, and and I'm not going to. I don't think I can say oh well those four Champions League games. That's what that's what the difference is. But no, I I, I actually can't explain how much it means. I was in Porto two years ago, and I've, I don't think I've ever felt so unhappy, so heartbroken by anything in my life when when that final whistle went um, two years ago because it just felt. That year, it felt like our time. It felt like we were going to do it. It felt like it felt like a party atmosphere. It felt like it did in the lead up to Istanbul and the day before on Friday and and the, on Saturday. And you know, so to then have the opportunity to go and do it again and to be there for it, um, it was it was it was amazing. Um, you know, I, I saw so I, I saw Andy out there as well, um, and then Tom as well. So. It, it was such a fantastic experience. There were so many cities. I think we must have taken so many more fans than we had tickets for because all I saw in Istanbul were city shirts everywhere and more, so many more than into Milan. I don't know if that's because of where I was staying, but it was near the Milan Metro. So, um, you know, there's a lot we can talk about with it. It's been a great season. You know, yeah, we can talk about the negative comments that have come from certain supporters of a red team that don't really matter anymore now we've won the treble. Um, but I don't really want to because it's not about them. It's not about who what they've done and, and what, you know, what they're saying about us. We've just won the treble. We need to celebrate that. That is the greatest achievement that, that, that I mean I mean I've had I've had it lucky I've had the great days of it I'm 22 I've you know I've seen City at their absolute best <clears throat> my dad he's seen City when you know the game against Gillingham when we were absolutely awful and so you guys you guys are the ones you know like old Andy are the ones that have seen have seen City at their absolute worst and have come to this point and so I know how much it means to me watching that happen and watching us win that Champions League, watching us win that treble. So to you guys, it must be incredible. Um, I, I, I don't know which one. I think um, our, our treble is the best there is, in my opinion, better than the one that the other team did um, because we beat we beat them to win it. We, they had the chance to stop us doing it and we did it. Um, but no, it's been, it's been a, what a season it's been. And those players deserve every single bit of credit they've got, they've got because they were exceptional. Pep, for me, now, best manager of all time, probably, yeah. To change a system mid-season, you've, you've, you've played half of the season in one way with, you know, playing with, with, with four at the back, with Cancelo there as the overlapping, as the inverted fullback. And then he's gone. You've had to completely change the system and you've gone and won the treble and played probably some of the best football we've ever played. Incredible. And it means the absolute world. And I, I can't, you know, I, I can't tell you anything else. And I've got to tell you, even if we get done for these 115 charges, which I don't think we will, but even if we were in every title got taken away from us I would not care because it's not about that it's about the experience and it's about supporting this great great football team and this great football club and what a football club it is I've got to move on to old Andy next because you mentioned him and even though I'm older than Andy and, and I lived through those times and at the end of the game um, I can't deny that I was in tears when the final whistle went and the number of people, because I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, obviously, I, I film fans for the YouTube channel that I have. I try not never to make it about me. I always try to make it about everybody else and about the fans. And when the tears started coming at the end of the game, I picked up my phone and I pointed it at myself. And I thought, I'm going to make myself look a right idiot here. And I filmed and I started to talk and then I, and then I thought, no, I can't carry on. And I just sort of stopped it. That bit of video still ended up in the in the YouTube. I, I posted up there and I, I didn't know I was doing the right thing or not. And lots of people have since contacted me to say you weren't the only one crying. Half the people in the city end were actually in tears and you were just reflecting how we feel. 
how were you feeling, Andy? Were you in tears? What 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 was what was it like around you? And what you've been on that journey like me and like David from you know the lowest points to the absolute ecstasy. And, and there's no journey like it, is there? No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, first of all, I did see your post-match a video uh when we got back to the hotel. And um yeah, it was it was like a, a wake around me in our section it was um obviously fans who were right in the first um tier of ticket allocation and a lot of people i've known many many years going to all european games for the last well back to tns you know to sort of those sort of days really and um yeah, there was loads of tears. In fact, uh, I was holding it together until uh, a mate of mine who I'd got a ticket for from uh, Buenos Aires came up to find us. And he said, this is for your dad who died last year. And oh, that was it. I was wrecked. I was all over the place. I couldn't cope. And so um, speaking to a lot of people afterwards, I think you're absolutely right, Ian, not to be embarrassed by... Uh, because the end of that journey that, you know, started for many of us in in days when City were in their heights in the late 60s, early 70s, and others, uh, you know, not so fortunate, me, one of them really, through the dark times until David and his, and his professional uh, team stopped, brought us into, you know, the, the light out of the darkness with the stadium move and and everything else and the academy and so on it was just like a release uh that we we'd, we'd actually achieved something that you know would have been way beyond our our expectations even when we first went into the champions league looking at other teams benches and just thinking my goodness me how are we going to possibly compete so <clears throat> to do it the way we did it in a very tough game a very mature performance against a very tough side and looking back along the I, I I did five of the aways work took me away from the Sevilla and Madrid games unfortunately but I did the others and uh, we didn't exactly have it on a plate did we let's be honest uh neither did we have the FA Cup on a plate just roll it back who we beat round after round not only the best teams in the Premier League but the best teams in the championship as well. And the Premier League, if you'd have said in January, it's a treble, what odds would you give? You would have said, forget it. I'm not putting any money on, even if it would have been long odds. Never would you have thought we could have pulled Arsenal in and achieved this. It's been an amazing last few months, especially given the World Cup and all that. And I think that started to show it to some extent in the latter stages. Maybe it was great that we didn't have to play players at Brentford and at Brighton. I think that might have been a good thing in the end, one of the things that, that helped us over the line. But in terms of my personal experience in the stadium, um, it was just unbelievable. Um, my family, as you know, we follow Wales away and our greatest game as a family, the four of us ever, in, including all of the games because I've seen most of the city big games on my own, but we were at the 9320 as a family and uh, also at the semi-final against United, which we'd still class as some of the greatest. Wales-Belgium in Lille was still for us the best that we pulled off a miracle that night. And um, we actually all agreed straight after the game. They've done it. They've topped it. We've we've actually beaten that experience and... Uh, that's the greatest accolade I can give it. Really, it was it was amazing. And ever since I only I left Turkey, British time, I passed one this morning, and I'm, and and I've been in the board meeting this afternoon, so I'm doing well. Uh, mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Um, it's been amazing, fantastic. And I know there's some negative stuff we might talk about that uh, with the uh, organisation around, but just from the achievement point of view. Uh, just just the best. Let's move on to Amy then. 
Um, what was your experience like, Amy? I mean, you watched it on TV, I guess, at home. But uh, were you feeling emotional? How did it compare to 93-20? And what was your reaction when the final whistle went? Um, so I went to Edinburgh uh, to watch it with uh, uh, the, the my friends who sit with me at the Etihad. Um, a friend of theirs had a, a bar in Edinburgh. You want to see this bar. It's amazing. Um, summer house in his back garden. I want the house and the burger and the, and the bar. It's amazing. Um, and so we went there um, to watch it. And I don't know, obviously, you know, I remember City in the, in the bad days. Um, and I cry at every single trophy. I have cried at every single one. I've not, like, you know, from Aguero to, to now, I have cried every time we've won. Like, even the Community Shield, like, because, it, and I know it sounds daft, and I am an emotional person, that's just me, but because to achieve something, no matter what, you know, and I say I, I was literally just crying and bawling my eyes out, and there's all these blokes around me going, like that. and I thought, I don't care. Like, I'm crying. I don't care. Um, but, yeah, and it's just, um, yeah, like, you know, you remember, like Andy's just said, you remember people who aren't there. Um, you know, my, when my granddad died, we won the, um, we, I can't remember the trophy it was now, um, and, we, and we won that, and I'd put on Facebook, granddad was looking down on us and I'd literally just lost him and then we was we was going to we was going to play at Wembley and um yeah it was uh and I thought do you know what like he, he's looking and we won and I thought thank god he, we won because I don't know what I would you know we didn't have the greatest relationship but he was still my granddad um and I just and you know he went to main road and everything like that and I just thought you know all them people that have gone that have not seen this and I think that's what the emotion is. It, it's not, you know, it's people that should be with you and aren't with you, you know, that have not seen, you know, have seen how good we were years and years and years ago. And then we had the, you know, we had the bad times and now we're back to the good. And it's, you know, to be able to see us win the Champions League, I never thought we'd ever do. And, you know, like I say, every trophy I get emotional at, and I probably still will, get emotional at every trophy you know because it is a big achievement we you know we've won the treble and and like like Toby said no one can take that away from you no matter what you know and uh yeah I I still can't believe we've actually won it I, I keep watching videos and going someone's gonna flick a switch in a minute and it, we're gonna wake up and it's not gonna be true um Premier League you were like right yeah and then um, you know, and I'm thinking FA Cup and we we're sat in the pub and I've not watched a match in a pub for, I can't think how, how long I've not watched a match in a pub for. And I went with my friends and my boyfriend to watch, watch the FA Cup. And when 12 seconds went in and that, and Gundogan's goal went in, I was like, oh my God, what's just happened? Like, what the hell has just happened? And then when we, when we won it, I was like, wow, right, okay. And you know me, I'm a bit of a, bit of a sit on the fence thing and I thought yeah right we've got that's not going to happen and then we sat there in that bar and I was thinking oh my god we've just we've won it all and yeah I, I'm like I say I still keep watching videos and I keep thinking this has not happened and I keep checking and I don't know how many weeks I'm going to still be checking and I said to the girls in my my room at work I said if we win all three I said a flag is going up in our room at nursery and there is a flag went up on Monday and it's going to be there all week. Um, yeah. And I, I, like I say, I'm still pinching myself. I'm still watching videos back because I just still can't believe that we've done it. Well, I can relate to your granddad's story and, and obviously Andy's dad. And, and um, I've told this story a few times, certainly on the videos. And I was covering the game for Indian TV from Istanbul. Uh, my mum knitted me a scarf in 76 for me to go to Wembley with my dad to watch the 76 League Cup final, Dennis Stewart's overhead kick and all that. My mum died a year later and I've made it my 
thing to take that scarf to every cup final. And um, in 2011, when we beat United in the semi-final, it was there. I know that wasn't the final, but my son was wearing it and I broke down on air on the BBC when I started telling that story. Uh, I took it with me to the FA Cup final against United and I took it to Istanbul and I was wearing it even though I was in the press box um, when the final whistle went. And um, my mum wasn't particularly a football fan or anything, but it felt like she was with me, you know, in spirit and... Uh, and those are the things that, that set you off. And uh, that's what life's all about. Family, and in our case, we feel part of the, the football family, the City family. So um, it's sort of, we've got two families. We're very lucky to have that. Louisa, you were down yesterday among the fans in the torrential rain, the thunderstorms, trying to uh, get some video, which uh, I'll be working on a little bit later on. And um, tell me your experience. What, what was it like for you to see City lift all big ears and, and be there yesterday among all those fans? Oh, first of all, it's really great to, to see everybody. And it's wonderful to meet you, David. And, and I thank you as well for everything that you've done for our club. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the season itself, um, you know, we were behind at Christmas um, as a City fan this year. I absolutely had the faith. I wasn't doubting anymore, which, you know, we spent many years wondering, questioning, uh, thinking, oh, well, we're City. Well, I, I'm not having that attitude anymore. I, I, I stopped that at the beginning of this season. Um, you know, we've now got a job to do. We've got a serious foundation now and a very solid foundation. And you could see, uh, you know, after Christmas, those games, the team didn't panic the club didn't panic, Pep didn't panic. We played incredibly methodically in every match um, with, with ease as well. We dug really deep if we went behind, which wasn't very often if we went behind. We didn't panic like we used to do and, and lose our minds or lose our heads. Um, and, and I sort of, there was a lot of consistency and a, and a lot of solidness from each player and I felt in other seasons, when he's mixed and matched a little bit with the players, they've not necessarily gelled. They've not necessarily come together. This season, to me, it felt like it didn't matter who was on the pitch. They all knew each other very well. They all knew each other's minds. How great has Haaland fitted in to everything? Uh, as, if, as if he's been here for years. So I felt really good about this season. And, and I felt very confident about the Premier League. FA Cup final, of course, wasn't that great <laughs> against the other side of town. We can't help but mention them when they're involved in matches. And that's kind of a shame on one hand, but amazing on the other, because they have been our closest rivals for, for our entire football since since they existed, since they both existed, you know, from, from the very roots. Um, but of course, interestingly, there were quite a lot of United fans that actually realised um, Matt Busby's uh, career and history, which of course he spent his majority at Manchester City. And, and I love that little little fact there. Um, but obviously we got to the uh, Champions League final. Wasn't sure we'd make it this year. That's the only slight doubt I had. Uh, wasn't really so certain because we were doing so well in, in every other cup and every other game and every other event. But I thought maybe it's it's another sacrifice again, you know. But once we got to that final, I, I don't know, I knew it. And and even when we weren't, we seemed to be playing quite, quite, I don't want to say badly, but from the television point of view, I don't know, I didn't quite like the way we were playing. I just didn't feel like it was a city that we'd had for the entire season. I felt they might be mentally fatigued or I'm not so sure. Um but I still thought, no, we're still doing this. We're not losing this. No way. And of course, when that goal went in, um, I uh, screamed very loudly, but I think only uh, put it on my my Instagram that only dogs and mosquitoes could hear me at that point anyway. So, of course, I was incredibly happy. And I, once the final whistle went, you know, and, and I just kind of felt anyway that Inter are just going to get a goal here. They just are. They're just going to equalise because they've just got so much possession now and they just keep fighting Edison all over the place and how he didn't get man of the match. I know he's supposed to save goals, but please, come on. The guy was absolutely outstanding. I've never seen him play that well. And can I just add as well, Ruben Diaz, um, at the time when I was watching it, I didn't realise when that ball pinged back off Edison, 
and had how he contorted his body to put that <laughs> ball wide when it was his third own goal. I couldn't at the time, it just happened that quickly that I thought, how did that stay out? I've since watched it and thought, how on earth did he do that? That that was a phenomenal moment, I thought, in the game. That was a real matrix moment, I think, I feel. I don't know how you're right, how he contorted his body to, to assist that away. I've no idea. But but for me, there was a little sort of sweet moment of karma. And I'm not usually this kind of um, sort of vindictive or, or kind of hateful, but but I just had a little bit of satisfaction that, that Lukaku had uh, managed to keep, <laughs> keep that ball out of the net, you know, after what he did to Kevin in, in the final a couple of years ago, you know, I just felt that was a little bit of, of karma there. Um, but I was, I sound really calm and I don't know why. I was incredibly euphoric. I literally screamed as the street down. I don't know how every glass in my house did not break. And I screamed for about two minutes, jumping up and down. I filmed a little bit of it, did go on social media a little bit. I have embarrassed myself. I don't care. Once in a lifetime for me, I think, getting this treble because not many people have done it before and not many people might do it again. Uh, and then I collapse on the floor in absolute tears. And I have never, I've, I've screamed happily at matches. I might have cried at a few, uh, but not for good reasons. Um, but, it, but the joy, the euphoria of 2012 was, was euphoria in my heart and joy in my heart. But this one was very different. This was pure joy for my soul. And I've never felt that before from football in like deep, deep, deep down to kind of think, wow, if we don't ever do this again, I have to, this, is, this means so much to my life because you were right, Ian, about some of the things you've said um that you know life's about family and we don't always have a big family around us sometimes we have we might get a bigger family other times but right now I have an incredibly small family um there's only three of us and my friends and this club is my family and last night or yesterday I walked around that city not only kind of looking out for people to chat to and little scenes to, to try and film, but it was like being at the carnival every year. It was like being at a festival that the kids, everybody, whoever had a kid, they, they were there. Everybody brought their kids. I saw really old guys being propped up clearly by a son or by somebody, all wearing the city stuff. And you know, that City is a club from the oldest of the people that are still with us and still alive down to little toddlers that understand, that are running around and understand the game, understand a goal. And that whole city was full of that. And everybody was so happy and everybody was so friendly and Manchester's sort of like that anyway. There are bad parts and there are bad things that happen. But as a community and as a city, I think that we've maintained that, that family feel, that family atmosphere. And if somebody's not your blood, that doesn't matter because that's where the saying our kid comes from. It's not only necessarily about your brother or your sister. It's about the person standing next to you and what you have in common and what you do with each other once a week, going to the football or twice a week or whatever, once a month. And this city vibrated that yesterday. And when that storm came, because when we all arrived in the city, it was glorious. It was so hot sitting know, I got a bus so I could have a couple of drinks. And I, and it was so hot. I can't, I was, I couldn't barely move or speak. I just had to sit there so quiet thinking I'm actually going to die of, of heat exhaustion, but I didn't. Um, then we knew it because you, you could smell it. And we're like, we know it's coming. The rain's coming. And then you heard the thunder. So I said to my nephew who was with me filming, come on, let's get to the beginning just in case something happens and they, they call this off. So we got to the Beethoven Tower, to the Hilton, 
uh, stood there and the biggest clap of thunder and lightning, and it was bolt lightning, at the exact same moment hit where we were all standing. Now, I don't know which building got it. Probably the Beethan Tower collected the, the, the bolt, but it hit right where we were stood. The loud bang was unbelievable. Now, this is a definitely a different story I'll never tell, I don't want to tell on this show, but I've been in a car that was hit by a lightning once and it was the mo one of the most exciting experiences of my life and I loved it and I loved telling the story. So I just stood there thinking, oh my, this is great. We've literally almost been struck by lightning and the hundreds of people in droves were going under the covering at, at the hotel and there was a few like diehards like me just stood outside. I just put my brolly up. Oh, make it a bit riskier. Just put my brolly up, not get my hair wet but um we noticed the police and the horses coming round because we thought they'd cancel it because they delayed it anyway but no no those guys were coming there was no way they weren't coming i don't know who made the decision but they were coming with those trophies and I, I'm, I'm not sure if it sounds weird i'm not sure if anyone else will agree but it's almost like the storm contributed because you can feel the electricity in the atmosphere anyway. You can smell it, you can sense it from a storm. And I'm not sure if that made everyone a little bit more jovial and a little bit more, I'm not saying crazy, people weren't going like out of their minds or anything, but just a bit nuts and just a bit, ah, yeah, so what? Look at this, this is great. Um, so from that point of view, it was arguably one of the best days definitely one of the best top 10 days of my entire life and we carried on we went to another street after they disappeared and we sat on this massive windowsill at the side of Gordon Ramsay's restaurant um it had to be helped up had to be helped down you couldn't just climb up on it um and of course the boys came past us again and they are literally pointing at everyone, trying to get eye contact, trying to wave at everybody they can. They're not on that bus kind of going, look at me, I'm great. I did this, I did that. They were sharing that whole moment together from the beginning at the Hilton until I was practically at the end because I was on Brown Street just around the corner from the square, practically till the end. And they were we were all one yesterday we were all one and a family well, i look forward to uh, putting up your video that you did um but but you, you all four of you have told us great personal stories david's been listening to all this i just wonder david as you listen to these personal stories of city fans you know what you make of it all because it shows what a football club means to people doesn't it um, absolutely, it'd be absolutely wonderful to, to, to hear the four of you. It really has, and it, it brings back a, a, so many memories of what was the most important thing to me when I was in the city. The, the success was wonderful and all sorts, but the relationship with the fans was the, for me, the thing I, I will always remember the most, and the kindness of the fans and the way that I was treated by the fans. You know, I was, I was a you know, I was a City fan since, God, I hate to say it, but since 1954. Uh, so I go back um, a long way. And I think my sort of credibility as a City fan was, was very good. But nevertheless, I came from the South, and I haven't got a Northern accent or anything, but I was always treated so well by, uh, very close to by, by everybody. And I think it also reinforces, I used to sort of say, uh, we were Manchester City football club. And, and the club word was so important because... Uh, many, many football clubs have forgotten that last word. You know, their businesses, whatever. But Manchester City, I think that relationship with the fans um, and that family feel, which you've, well, you all, Louisa particularly, have described so well, um, is, yeah, I'm also I'm enjoying this enormously because, you know, being a bit detached now and living down here, um, it's a while since I've had this interaction. I used to, um, I, I, will, I will be this year going to the AGM of the London Supporters Club when I meet, again, a lot of the fans that I, that I used to know. But that interaction, uh, yeah, one of the things that I certainly miss, and I, maybe you do, Ian and others, we, when we had, um, what was it, 1,000 or 2,000 fan shareholders in the club, I think it's a very sad thing that that's, that that's finished. We, we had um, our annual general meetings, and one of them in particular at the Bridgewater Hall, 
attracted at nearly a thousand people. There were a thousand city shareholders in there. And I, I remember we, what we did, went through the formal stuff and then we took questions. And after a half an hour, one of my colleagues said, well, that's enough now. You know, we, can, we, we, should, we should finish this. And I said, no, not at all. I said, these people have come to, to ask us and to inquire of us. You know, we'll stay here as long as they want us to and, and we'll take those questions. And I think it was that sort of interaction with the fans, going around to supporters clubs, through the radio stuff that we did and so on, that helped build that spirit and that togetherness, which you four, four guys have um, put over so well. How does the modern city maintain that now then? Because, you know, it's become this big global phenomena. And I do know that there's some fans starting to feel as if the club is going away from the supporters. I mean, not from these that are on here now and people who've been lifelong fans. Uh, but now that they've achieved this fantastic treble, um, you know, I've, I've been writing a newspaper column today and, and I put, you know, it's the end of the story. I didn't mean I'm going to stop going to watch matches, but it, it did feel like I'd, the whole circle was finished. And for fans to yeah. keep connected to the club how do you do that how does a big organization a global brand retain this family connection how do they do it you sound, you sound like that guy who wrote a few years ago that's about the end of history we'd reach the end of history with the collapse of the soviet <laughs> empire boy was, was he wrong history the history never finishes no of course it doesn't but, but you're but you're you're raising a very good point indeed and i think the answer is with difficulty you know, um, one of the problems of success and globalization and all the things that we're doing is doing exactly what you're challenging is holding the thing together as a club and remembering the roots and the fans and so on and so forth. It was much easier, I think, to do it 20 years ago than it is now. But I, but I think, I mean, our four friends here um, could answer that better than I can if they feel they're still embraced and you know, treated as they'd like to be. I, I, I can't answer that. Uh, the question I'm not close enough to it now it's probably a subject for another podcast yeah. sometime in the future because today's about celebrating I just wonder if any of the four of you um, want to ask David a question don't feel you have to it's, I'm not going to go around you all and go you haven't asked a question but if anybody wants to ask a question of David you don't get the chance to, to talk to a former city chairman that often put your hand up because we're doing all this on Zoom so I can see you and if nobody's got a question, then uh, then we'll go in a different direction. Well, go on, Andy. Thought you might have one. Yeah, you know the old business head coming in. Um, really, with regard to the deal, getting the Commonwealth Stadium, and obviously the importance of the loyalty of the fans as we went down into the third tier. How critical was that in terms of being able to pull off the uh, the the deal that that, that the club did? Um, in, in terms of the financial commitment that was given to the council and so on. Because clearly that's one thing that we old City fans remember as being, you know, the thing that nobody else has ever done is taking your whole fan base down three tiers. Yeah. Well, the government, Sport England, Manchester City Council all wanted a proper stadium for the Commonwealth Games in 2002, wasn't it, I think, 2002. Um, and we were the only serious long-term sort of occupiers. But I think we played a very, a very good game. We, we negotiated very, very hard to the extent that we, the club itself, only paid about 5% of the cost of the stadium and the fit out and the whole thing, very, very little. It was such a good deal that I remember at the time we had an away match at Newcastle with John Hall, who was their chairman, a very robust businessman. And when they were into their boardroom, he sort of saw me, came up to me and said, hey, lad, he said, there must be something funny going on in Manchester behind the scenes, something funny for you to do a deal like that. It was, a, it was such a good deal. They were, they were just damn jealous, um, you know, of it. But the deal depended to some extent, or a large extent, on the credibility of the club. And the credibility of the club needed some success on the pitch, which is why that Gillingham game, that mm. I keep coming back to, was crucial. Had we lost that game, remembering we were 2-0 down with one minute to go, had we lost that game, I say there's a very good chance we would never have got the stadium. And if we never got the stadium, none of this would have happened. So 
Um, yeah, Aguero's goals and the goals on last Saturday and so on were wonderful and huge moments. But I think that Paul, Paul Dickoff's goal is the is the one that actually turned the club round and laid helped lay that groundwork um, with the stadium uh, for everything that's happened since. What do you think is the future now, David? I mean, uh, Pep's been around here now for uh, longer than he's anybody anywhere else. He's still got two years of his contract to go. There's all sorts of. I don't want to spend much of the time talking about this because that's. You know, the clickbait merchants will be doing that all summer now about yeah. who's going to leave and who's going to come. But in just in general terms, Pep won't stay forever. He's got two years of his contract to go. There are players who have been rumoured for a while to move on. We all know who they are. And obviously City have reached the peak. Do you have any concern as a lifelong City fan, as well as being former City chairman, that once you reach that absolute peak, that the only way is sort of down, or you know that that this will this era will now break up and disintegrate. Well, well, well again, it's a very good question. I mean, you can't say the way is up because we 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 have reached a pinnacle that's as you know is is Mount Everest. We've we've conquered Everest. And you can't you can't go higher than conquering Everest. But I think in the, in the for, for the nearest future, I would think our position is very secure. I mean, I I'm presuming Pep will stay on for a couple of years. Uh, you know, he's, he's remarkable in what he's managed to achieve and you know, there just aren't many managers who can handle these big players and deal, uh, you know, I've, seen, I've seen it firsthand how some, some people are very efficient, very good at certain levels, as they go higher they can't cope, they can't deal with a different sort of challenge. Pep obviously is at the absolute peak of that and the strength of the squad, the support, the whole thing has come together so well, I think that we will be a major, major force for two or three years. Now, after that, when Pep goes and things change, who knows? I mean, I'd be a fool to, you know, take out a crystal ball. It's impossible. You know, no, 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 nothing in sports stays the same forever. You know, things do change and sooner or later they will change. You know, another club will get some. I, I, a good example of this, I'm, I mean, when I first became chair, I was very friendly, I'm very friendly with David Dean at Arsenal. And I asked David if I could meet Arsene Wenger, and Arsene uh, gave me two hours of his time at the Arsenal training ground, and I mean they were so far ahead of us, they were like on a different planet, uh, but he was so helpful, gave me such good advice, um, which we sort of brought back, and a lot of the changes we made about training was based around what he told us, little did he, little would he have thought what the consequences might have been, but uh, this is a vague example, because Arsene Wenger at that time was ahead of the game, you know, he was forward-thinking. He had great connections in France that nobody else had. As well. He was just ahead of his time, and was a but time caught up with him. Things caught up as they always do, and and you know he he gradually lost you know, lost a lot of that stuff. Still a great manager, but he lost that edge that he'd had, and that's that will happen sooner or later. But we all we all hope it'll be much later, and we'll have a many many more great years. And you know, I was just thinking statistically until. We won the Premier League for the first time under under the, the new ownership. We'd got 100 years or 120 years, whatever it was, with four FA Cup wins. And I know that I know, but I know four, 34, 56, it was on my birthday, and 69. Two championship wins. The second one would have been 68, wasn't it? And one European win, not the new yeah, Cup. And, and that's what we, we achieved in 100 something years, 120 or 30 years. Look what, we, look, look what we've achieved in the last 15. It's incredible in terms of league championships and, and everything else now. Um, and, I, and, and I think the other thing to say is that, is that, yeah, we should remain as one of the elite clubs in the country now. I can't see that changing. You know, we, we won't be the league every single year for the next 10 years, you know, but we will be in the, in the top three or four or five, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I, th I think that success and that strength is so entrenched now and that's not that's not that's not going away. Yes, yes, Louisa. <laughs> Thank you, David. Oh, and I did forget to say a, a happy birthday as well to you. So. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, do you think it's in the same same uh, vein, really? Do you think that it is possible for Manchester City to continue to sort of look after the fans and to continue this kind of family? you know, care, caring about fans, community, and sustain sort of the incredible high levels of ruthless 
business, you know, that, that makes teams successful? Well, I think the answer should be yes. Um, you know, I think, I think the, the art of a good um, owner, a good chairman, a good board of a football club is that balance between passion and, you know, clear business head and doing things sort of sensibly and properly. If you've got too much business and no passion, it's not going to work. And if you're all passionate, and no, you know, it's not going to work either. So it, it, it needs that balance. And of course, it's, just, it's absolutely possible to maintain that. I mean, I have to ask you for the question, has the club maintained that up to now? And, uh, you know, with the success that we've had? Do, do you feel the same way as you did 10 or 15 years ago? Well, let me, let me start by answering that, but the others can come in if they want. Um, I mean, the one thing that slightly worries me is that you hear stories from people within the club saying that, um, you know, that, that pensioners and, and fans who go to every single match are not ideally what they want anymore, or certainly not in big numbers. They want people who will you know, pick and choose and come to a few matches. And, and and I remember this happening a lot at United, you know, years and years and years ago. They will go in the superstore and come out with a big bag of goodies and, uh, and not be worried too much about what they spend when they're in the ground. They will pay even over the odds for, a, for what we as regular match going fans every week would want to pay. And as a business, I understand why they would want those people but I think you're right in that you've got to have that balance. Yes, you've got to have some of that, and, and it is a business after all, but you can't forget, you know, the, the fans who've legacy fans like me and Andy. Um, okay. and, but, you know, that, that, that's got to be part of it, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, realistically, if you think, as we said before, the club's total income now is somewhere approaching £700 million. If you do things right by the fans and look after the long-term fans and so on, it's going to cost a minuscule amount, you know, so you do have a percentage of the, of the crowd who spend a bit less, so what? You know, that's not the key. The key thing is the family and all those things. And you can't kid people. People aren't stupid. The fans aren't stupid. They'll, they'll know if the club speaks with false tongue or not, you know, and if it's really, really delivering those, those things. But it's, it's, it's certainly possible to do it, but it needs keeping a real balance. I feel certain Andy will have a view on this, so because um, it's the sort of thing that we talk about, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, there's um, there's a few quick wins for the club, and the first one is they've got to take in now the feedback that they're going to get from all the social media inputs from twenty odd thousand who were treated appallingly badly by the organisation that that we all experience. I know Toby's nodding. Not not one single City fan will have a different story to the two of us uh, about how dreadful it was getting to and getting away from that game on Saturday. And thank God we won. Thank God we won. And uh, yeah. I think the club could really do one big thing really now, and that is take this forward in the same way that Liverpool did for their fans last year when they were treated appallingly badly. I'm quite sure that Inter Milan would not have received any better treatment than we did. So they still haven't got it right. And I know Wembley and Bayern Munich is a bit of a safe bet the next two seasons because they're two grounds where you don't have these issues. But, you know, the sour, the sour pill uh, is a little bit like, are we going to have our club stand up and say, we were treated badly, this was not okay. Um, yeah, it looked great on the TV and the, in the ground and everything. But actually, there, there is a dark side to this this weekend, which I think the club needs to take forward. And they could do a lot of good by listening and doing something about that on behalf of us and all fans, you know, who are reaching this stage of the competition. But wider, it's obviously a discussion that we've had on many podcasts. I do feel that we are now seeing the feeding frenzy that you would expect with success. And with that, unfortunately, there will be people who will be marginalised and edged out and, and I do unfortunately think that that will be those fans who can no longer afford to, to follow this club in the way that it's you're expected to with the amount of money that you have to spend in order to even just be part of the... There's still some good value season cards, of course. I think that's great, and I hope that continues forever. But if you really want to watch a lot of football for this club, you really have to put everything else aside to be able to do that. 
whatever your whatever your uh, you know position in, in in life, it's getting very very expensive. Speaking as a home and away fan for a long 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 time, you know I now look ahead to next season and think uh, Super Cup in Greece in August. World Club Cup in Saudi Arabia in December, plus potentially another run in the Champions League all over Europe from next season, i.e. the one after next season, there'll be four group games at home and four groups games away. And despite the fact that I have basically dedicated my life to following City home and away, I can feel breaking point coming. Um, you know, we've all got pockets that are not bottomless, you know, so... Uh, that's that's the downside of, of this great success. But I'm going to finish this podcast at this point because I want to finish it on a on a positive note by first of all thanking David so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, but also thanking everybody who's contributed to the podcast this this season, including the ones who are here tonight, Toby, Andy, Louisa, and Amy. But also to Tony and I'm probably going to forget somebody, uh, Harlan, and you know all the different people that have been uh, on the podcast throughout the year, and all the wonderful guests that we've had, former players, former managers, um, you know. Um, uh, Doug Hurley, the space, uh, the astronaut from America, and, and all sorts of people that have been on the podcast. It's been great to have you on. Um, thanks very much to Howard Solicitors because they've obviously sponsored the podcast, which helps tremendously. Um, HowardSolicitors.com is their website, so I'll go and have a look at it. But I'm going to leave you with the thought of Vincent Company when, when City won the league in 2012. I remember him saying something like, you know, there's no guarantee that this is going to happen every year or that it will happen again even. So drink it in, enjoy every single minute of it, never take it for granted. So in, so I would say I'm not going to do another podcast now until we're building up towards the uh, Community Shield in August. So I'm going to take a little break and I hope you're all going to take a little break and uh, just drink it in and, and enjoy it and savour it because there's no guarantee, we all hope, but there's no guarantee that this is going to happen again, something like this. So enjoy it. You know, just, just drink it in. Isn't it great being a blue? <laughs>